Welcome to Life Learnings. My name is Paul Kachansky. Today we are privileged to have Nathan Brown from the Science Publishing Company visiting us from Victoria. Nathan, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you back in New South Wales and today we are highlighting some interesting areas regarding Desmond Doss. I know you've done a lot of study, a lot of writing, a lot of research Hmm. And um, it's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> and certainly my research began many years ago because mm. I grew up with the story of Desmond Doss. How yeah. old were you when you first heard the story? I couldn't tell you, but I re remember it would have been one of the first books that I actually remember reading was mm -hmm. the story The Unlikeliest Hero by Bouton Herndon, mm -hmm. um, which was Desmond one of the first biographies and stories of Desmond Doss that had been written. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's probably back in the 80s some stage. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember how you felt when you read that story? Well, he's one of those guys that is a, you know, when you read the story, it's, you know, it's a story of a hero, mm -hmm. um, someone that's done something quite remarkable, stood up for his faith and uh, been able to do good things for others in a very difficult circumstance mm -hmm. and then been honoured for that in a remarkable kind of way. So yeah. certainly something that made a really strong impression on me as a young person. Yes. And from from that first time to when you reconnected with his story as an adult, mm. did you give it much thought? Uh, it's just one of those stories that in my church life is just part of the environment. Really, okay. it's you know everybody knows who he is. Um, you know, it's one of those stories that's been retold at different points uh -huh. along the way. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I mean. Probably not a story that I'd spent a lot of time thinking on. And, um, yeah, when the documentary The Conscientious Objector came out, 2004, um, that you know, reconnected the story and told it in a new way, of course, because mm. there you had the man himself and, mm. you know, re as an old man, remembering his story and, you know, revisiting some of the places that uh, the story had taken place. And, mm -hmm. yeah, so that was my reintroduction to it. And since that time... and. Um, you know, have come across it a number of times since. Mm -hmm. And you've done a lot of writing uh, about his story in different contexts. Um, you had the privilege of meeting Terry Benedict. Mm. Terry Benedict is the filmmaker who made uh, The Conscientious Objector. Mm -hmm. He first met Desmond Doss. He, he had a similar experience of growing up with the story. Mm -hmm. And then he met Desmond Doss in 1999 and realised that the guy he met was the same guy. You know, he was a real hero, not mm. just a made-up one. Yes. Uh, and genuine in who he was and what he believed and how he lived. And Terry, as a filmmaker with some experience at that point, said, mm -hmm. this is a story that needs to be told more widely. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've got a camera and I've got skills to do it, so mm -hmm. let's find a way to do that. And so he spent a bit of time getting to know Desmond for a mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. uh, Desmond had resisted movies being made of his life. Why did you do that? Uh, well, it has been suggested that one of the things was that he, as a conservative Christian, didn't believe in movies. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was kind of that thing that he'd been brought up with and come up come with honestly. That, but also I think there was a sort of you know the the fear that his story would not be told 
fairly or accurately mm. could be misrepresented in some way or diminish some of the more miraculous parts of it or whatever. Yeah, because I guess writing the story down mm. and portraying it on film, sometimes there's a, a disparity there. Mm. As Terry got to know him, he they eventually, any Terry, uh, as he tells the story, they were standing outside a supermarket in Tennessee mm-hmm. and basically Terry said, well, you know, if you let me make your story into a film, I will... Um, answer to God first, you second, and everybody else can get in line. Uh (laughs) And so basically that I promise to look after your story and treat it as it deserves. And that became firstly a a really strong friendship between Terry and Desmond Mm -hmm. and then became the documentary in 2004. Mm -hmm. That included um, uh, Terry spending time with Desmond and a number of his men you know, soldiers that he'd actually rescued or had been part of his company uh, in that time, um, all of whom were in their 80s and 90s at that point and all of whom sadly have died now. Mm. Um, But Terry um, so took a group of them, about half a dozen of the guys, back to Okinawa Mm. to where the actual, you know, to Hacksaw Ridge where the battle took place and, you know, the logistics of taking a bunch of old, you know, quite old guys, some of them not super well yes. uh, to the other side of the world and looking after them was quite a, quite a feat wow. uh, but you know got the story and um, so his longer term plan with it had be- always been that he wanted a feature film made from mm. it and making the documentary while it was valuable in itself was also a stepping stone in that journey yes. and also important for getting the guys on film while they were still with us and yes. able to tell their stories and so once he'd finished the um, documentary, mm-hmm. he received awards for it and mm. you know, had some really good responses to it. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was actually filmed in, with some cutting-edge technology that mm-hmm. film nerds understand, and I don't really. Okay. But um, <laughs> you know, it was made to the highest possible um, specifications at yes. the time. Yes. And so then once that was done and he'd done the work with that, he headed to Hollywood to see if he could find people that were prepared to work with him mm-hmm. and to put together a team to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's 2004 and um, it's been, it was a 10 year process from then until the actual making of the film uh, was green lighted and funded and all of those kind of things. So, And um, so getting to 2016 we have Hacksaw Ridge and um, now it's been a 17 year journey for Terry with wow. Desmond and his story and um, a remarkable thing and I admire Terry very much for what he's done with that. Yeah and you've been part of that journey in, in uh, writing uh, and reviewing a number of, of books that have been written on the subject. We've done a little bit of, uh, associated with it. Yeah. Uh, we got Terry out here in, in Australia in um, 2013. Um, he came to what we were to the Manifest Creative Arts Festival okay. uh, that I was a co-convener of. Mm-hmm. And, that was um, in, in Avondale College? Yes. Okay. And um, so Terry came out here. We knew about his work and, you know, he came and taught some classes on how to make films okay. and some of these kind of things. Nice. But the highlight of the weekend for me was we did a screening of The Conscientious Objector with Terry. Um, he introduced the film, then we showed it, and then we did a and a with him afterwards. Mm. And... Uh, one of the interesting things that really caught my attention was that how Terry responded to watching the film how did with he us. Uh, he um, 
he told us afterwards that he hadn't watched it for about six years by that stage and that all the key people in the film had died in mm -hmm. that intervening time. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, he was actually quite emotional about it and mm. just, um, you know, he was moved by reconnecting with those guys and their mm. stories again. Mm. Um, of course, when you spend a lot of time doing a creative project like that, you can get to the point where you're almost kind of sick of the sight of it. Yes. Uh, you know, when it so comes to the story. filming and yeah. editing, yeah. then you spend a year or two talking about it and yes. selling it and all those kind of things. And so, you know, quite naturally, he kind of put it on the shelf and hadn't mm -hmm. spent time with it for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was his first time back at it and it was a really good experience. And then in the uh, question and answer time, he really shared, you know, some of his heart and passion that he had for the story and mm -hmm. the close friendship that he ha he mm -hmm. developed with Desmond and, you know, came to see him as kind of his, his adopted grandfather. Wow. And, um, yeah, that was very cool. Nathan, for many of our listeners, they may not have connected with the story of Dennis okay. and Doss prior to the Hacksaw Ridge making a big mm. splash and the conscientious objector. It's mm. a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> um, but how would you summarise the story mm. without giving too much of the detail away? <laughs> um, who was Desmond Doss? Why is his story so important? Mm. Why did you spend some time... Um, you know, writing about it, and you've written at least uh, you know five, six articles, maybe more, um, about his story. Mm -hmm. uh, Desmond Doss grew up in the American South in Tennessee, yeah. uh, in very poor and difficult circumstances. But okay. uh, part of his um, his experience as a young person was faith, mm -hmm. and um, it talks in the documentary. They show the picture of the. Ten Commandments that they had on the wall in their home and mm -hmm. that this was values that were ingrained in him very much. And mm -hmm. uh, as when World War II rolled around um, and he, he, along with many other people, of course, wanted to serve his country, but he had a strong conviction that he should not carry a gun and that he wasn't to kill anybody in that role. That's a pretty bold statement, though. Well, to and go it's, to war without a gun, <laughs> <laughs> indeed, and yeah, and I think that um, you know the Hacksaw Ridge movie has been described as very violent. Mm -hmm. um, it's rated MA in Australia for its depiction of war, and that mm -hmm. um, you know, and of course, as a medic, which he ultimately became, um, he he saw that you see the worst of it. Face You're face. in the middle of it, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, so, you know, while, you know, perhaps it's good that war is actually portrayed for the ugliness and the horror that it is, and it also shows the craziness, mm. to use that kind of language, mm -hmm. of walking into that kind of situation without any means to defend yourself. He had uh, beliefs that drove him to this. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so he... Um, so he was labelled as a conscientious objector, as mm -hmm. the title of the DVD suggests, mm -hmm. uh, in the by the army. But partly because the army didn't know what else to do with him, mm -hmm. he was. Yeah, he described himself as a conscientious cooperator. Okay. Um, that he wasn't objecting. He was trying to help. He was trying to serve his nation, and but he simply had limits on how far he'd go with that, based mm -hmm. on his beliefs and his values. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he read the sixth commandment, "Thou shalt not kill," mm -hmm. and took it seriously. Mm. And um, so he was um, when he enlisted in the army. He was trained as a medic, and um, went through a very difficult time in 
you know, during military training, mm-hmm. uh, both because of his refusal to even learn how to fire a gun. You know, he would just not touch one. Mm. But also uh, the other part of his commandment keeping that he um, kept took seriously was keeping the Sabbath of the fourth mm. commandment. Mm-hmm. And so he would try not to have to do his normal duties on mm-hmm on the seventh day of the week mm-hmm. and uh, would often, you know, as much as possible, apply for leave passes so that he could attend church and these kind of things. And for this, his men described him as a shirker. Uh-huh. And his... Um, he had a hard time. His, his officers weren't particularly interested in helping their slacker mm-hmm. um, get days off when everybody else was training and working and all mm-hmm. those kind of things. So, yeah, he was persecuted. He had a really difficult time mm-hmm. but stayed true to what he believed and... You know, did the best he could in each of the circumstances that he found himself. Mm. Uh, when his company was shipped out, um, they ended up on in Okinawa, mm-hmm. in the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge, and that became and is still regarded as one of the bloodiest and the uh, highest casualty tolls of the entire Second World War. Uh, there were about a hundred thousand. Uh, Japanese soldiers killed there over over a week mm. or so, mm. and fifty thousand American soldiers, mm. uh, plus a lot of local people, and yeah, mm. a horrendous, horrendous mm. thing to be in the middle of. And so on May the fifth, nineteen forty-five, he um, was the day that he became a hero. Mm. What um, happened that day? It was a Sabbath. And um, but his company had been asked to make an assault on this Hacksaw Ridge, mm-hmm. uh, which was a very steep escarpment uh, uh, with the Japanese entrenched on the top. Mm-hmm. And of course, the risk was that the American soldiers had to get to the top, mm-hmm. and then they were confronted by everything that the Japanese were throwing at them. Mm. And um, yeah, a very difficult and risky mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, DOS um, was. Yeah, medic on duty. Mm. Um, he uh, wanted to study his um, Bible before he went, and so the attack on the ridge was actually delayed for a period of time so that he could do what he needed to do, but then he was willing to go and help. Wow. As well as believing in the Sabbath, he also believed what Jesus taught, that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Mm. And um, he saw So the, he served his fellow man on so, that day. Yeah. And so mm. while reports are a little bit sketchy of some of these kind of things, the kind of agreed figure of the number of men whose lives he saved that day was 75. Mm. And each of those men he had to rescue, um, he, tr- he would treat as quickly and as you know, whatever as possible. As possible. Yeah. And then he would let them down, lower them on ropes from mm. the cliff edge mm-hmm. uh, where they would then be taken to safety and to her further medical treatment. Wow. Uh, so it was about 12 hours that he was up here there, at times taking significant risks as far as being exposed to enemy fire and um, those kind of things, but somehow kept safe in the middle of it all. Wow. And, um, yeah, and at the end of the day he was... You know, the whole his whole situation had changed, and he was, yeah, you know, he was a hero. He was later injured uh, in the war, and mm-hmm. that was um, the end of the war for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, when he returned home, he was presented with the Congressional Medal of Honor, mm-hmm. uh, the first conscientious objector to receive that honor, which is you know the highest award for bravery in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a remarkable aspect of that is that. 
it's the kind of award um, medal that you only get with the testimony of everybody that's been involved with it. So eyewitnesses who are actually at the battle need to fill out the, the appropriate forms. Wow. And then everybody up the chain of command has to sign off on it. So it's not just a, a one person's that's right. uh, yeah. nomination, it's, it's a group effort. So all these wow. people that had been giving him a hard time you know, these these men that um, had been persecuting him, these um, officers yes. who were questioning, yes. you know, his loyalty, his character, his everything. Had to sign um, off. Had to sign off on <laughs> this guy has done something remarkable and wow. needs to be recognised as such. Mm. So he went on... Um, he lived, despite his fame and notoriety, returned to a relatively simple rural life in Tennessee and mm-hmm. uh, lived out his days there. Mm-hmm. Um, had his challenges throughout mm-hmm. life and yeah, lived live just as a humble, simple man for mm-hmm. the rest of his life mm-hmm. uh, and um, eventually died in 2006. What a remarkable life story. Thank you, Nathan, for... Uh, <laughs> That's the quick overview. <laughs> ...for giving us the overview. Our guest today is Nathan Brown. He works uh, with and for the Science Publishing Company in Warburton, Victoria, as a book editor. Mm. And we are privileged to have him share about the Desmond Doss story and, and Nathan's involvement. Nathan, you've written a number of articles, one of which I read uh, briefly was dealing with doing good and mm. the link with the Good Samaritan. Would you would you say that Dos Desmond Dos was a good Samaritan in a way? Yeah, in a way, he um, yeah he as you know he's often held up as someone who took the commandment seriously, mm. and I've already mentioned you know yes. remember the Sabbath day and thou shalt not kill and some of these kind of things. But mm. Jesus, when he was talk, talking about the commandments, he affirmed them. Yes, and he was very. Uh, but he had a different kind of answer when he was asked what the most important commandment was. And uh, it was kind of a, a bit of a one of these uh, tricky conversations that Jesus some, sometimes found himself in the middle of. Mm-hmm. But um, his, his answer, and drawn from Scripture as well, was, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with mm-hmm. all your heart and your mind and your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second is like unto it. So mm-hmm. intertwined with it is mm-hmm. love your neighbour as yourself. So those two go together. So those two go together. They're almost two sides of the same coin. Okay. And in that context, they were the two guiding overall primary commandments that Doss lived by and, and demonstrated in his actions. Mm-hmm. His first loyalty was to God mm. and to you know doing what he believed God instructed for living life well and yes. obediently mm-hmm. uh, but in that same thing loving your neighbour as yourself and in the Gospel of Luke when those two commandments are talked about the greatest commandment and then one and two mm-hmm. it then leads into the story of the Good Samaritan mm. and the Good Samaritan is the story of an unlikely hero um, someone who didn't fit the mould someone you wouldn't expect to be the guy who comes in to save the day mm. and certainly Doss fits that kind of model mm. Uh, but I also think that there's a little bit more to it in that he didn't just happen to get into this, situation, you know, to, to see someone on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. He actually put himself in a place of danger, mm-hmm. of risk, of, um, yeah, of discomfort, of, you know, he went through a lot to get mm-hmm. to the point where he could help these people. Yes. Uh, and so, in a way, he's almost an even better Samaritan in that sense, yeah. that he um, went out of his way 
to help people. Mm. And he certainly did that in a powerful way in, in probably what would be some of the worst experiences or worst context that we could mm. imagine. Pain and DOS, I read something that DOS was injured and when he was carried on, is, is it a litter? Is that what you call it, like a lifter? With the people, you know, like a stretcher. Like yeah. a stretcher, yep. where DOS actually rolled off that to give pl- give way to someone else injured. Mm. I mean, that's that's yeah. uh, not just something you, you just do without tremendous sacrifice and mm. tremendous um, gifting of, of almost life and saving mm. someone's life to do that. Yeah. Well, loving your neighbour as yourself, it's valuing somebody else's life as much as you value yours. Yes. And we have this inherent instinct to do everything we can to preserve our own lives and to keep ourselves safe. Yes. And that's really what that commandment is, that we should have that same instinct mm. f- towards others and mm. particularly those who are in need or suffering or in pain or whatever it might be. And to value someone else's life, as you said, mm. to value um, that they have family that they have uh, goals and aspirations yeah, and to treat others as God treats them, mm. as Jesus treats them, yeah. and that's with immense love. Yeah, it's an incredible um, picture of that, yeah. So, yeah, so Desmond Doss, the even better Samaritan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, maybe, maybe you should write another article about that. <laughs> so you also mentioned, Nathan, that Desmond was very humble. Hmm. He didn't want his story told. Yeah. And when I um, talked, one of the things when I interviewed Terry those few years ago now, Mm -hmm. uh, when we'd had that film screening and I was sort of hosting the question and answer section, Mm -hmm. one of the things that stuck with me and then when I interviewed him again recently in conjunction with Hacksaw Ridge and his Mm -hmm. involvement with that, Mm -hmm. uh, there was this statement that stuck with me where he said that of all the people he's met in the met in his life, mm-hmm. Desmond Doss was the person most like Jesus that he'd ever met. Wow. Which is a powerful statement, that particularly is. for someone who takes Jesus seriously. Yes. Um, you know, that's not something you'd throw around lightly. Mm-hmm. And I, so when I had an in- chan- opportunity to interview Terry again, uh, recently, mm-hmm. he talked about. Um, I asked him about this and said, "What do you actually mean by that?" And just went a bit deeper with it. And he made the comment that he's the kind of guy that lives by principle, mm-hmm. beautifully humble, and at the same time, the kind of person that when you spend time with, you want to, you feel like you're a better mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. after it. Mm-hmm. And he said sometimes that was obvious, and sometimes it was almost imperceptible in how his influence when you spent time with him would rub off on him. Mm-hmm. But one of the stories Terry told me was that uh, his children, who were four, at, four and six at the time when Desmond died 10 years ago, mm-hmm. still remember him as someone who cared about them and who had a really significant impact on their life. In such a young age. At such a young age, wow. 10 years later, still remembering that impact and that, mm. you know, there's something powerful in that. Mm. Why do you think that was portrayed in such a way? Yeah, well, I think humility is a very key part of it. Um, humility is probably one of the most undervalued values, mm. um, you know, but it's certainly a biblical value. Mm. And Jesus said, um, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Yeah. That's in Matthew um, chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Yeah, one of the Beatitudes. Just blessed. Yeah. And we kind of look at that and say, well, how does that even make sense? Mm. Um, you know, the Beatitude, you know, blessed or happy is the person who's meek. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit with everything we're told about how life should be lived. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, throughout history, people don't win, you know, meek people don't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to be, we, we assume that they're the kind of people who are walked over and maybe don't even stand up for anything much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they're the people who will always be last in line and mm-hmm. all of these kind of things. But Jesus taught that somehow that is the thing that actually wins in the end, yes. that matters. Um, and so this idea of humility, I think, for one, it comes with a recognition, you know, in Desmond Doss's case, a recognition mm. of his relationship in in relationship to God. Mm. You know, God is God, I'm not. Yes. I rely on him, I trust him for everything I do. Humbled um, by that relationship. Yeah. Mm. And so even in the situation and the... Yeah, after what Desmond had gone through with the men in training, mm-hmm. yeah, the incredible temptation it would be to stop and go, well, why would I help these guys? They've been giving me a, a really rough time for the yeah. last months, years, yes, whatever yes. it was. Um, yeah, and, and then imagine those guys who are the ones getting picked up by this guy who's been the butt of all their jokes. They've mocked and they've ridiculed and yes. they've you know, harassed in all these different ways. Mm. And this is the guy who's bending over them, taking a risk to help them and to rescue them. And mm. that's a transformative thing mm. like that. You know, and you know, watching the Conscientious Objector documentary, the, those men 50 years later... Still remember. Who mm. still remember that mm. and their affection, their love for DOS after you know all that time and compared to what they were before is a remarkable testimony to the transforming power of humility and service in that kind of way. Yeah. And, and would it be right to say, Nathan, that Desmond did what he did not to gain the Congressional Medal of Honour. No. <laughs> he didn't even think of that. It's probably the last thing in his mind when you're on top of a ridge getting fired at. Desmond didn't want this film to be you know, made to, to uplift himself, mm. but he was yes. living for some cause and someone greater. Yeah. And Is that's... that the true strength of, of a person's life, to live for a cause greater than yourself? Well, I yes, I can't really argue with that mm. as, a, as an idea. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, it takes, it's beyond, I mean, all of us, when we have those quiet moments in ourselves and we reflect on, well, I'm actually a pretty ordinary type person and I know, we know better than anybody else, even if we pretend or try and deny it or whatever, where where we come up short and yep. what our failings are and, you know, things that we wish were better about us and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's two responses to that. One of them is to recognise our place mm in the universe mm-hmm. and particularly our place in relationship to God. The other is to sort of pump ourselves up and try and bluster on regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know which has the most sustainability to it <laughs> and, and the one that will last forever. Mm-hmm. Nathan, we've been speaking about the um, the role that Desmond Doss played in war and if people are interested in exploring that story further, mm-hmm. You at Science Publishing Company have uh, have an offer that we would like to extend to our listeners and their families. What's that? We're working with um, the a website that's being developed, and this is what I've been doing some of the writing on recently that you've okay. referenced, uh, called faithofdos.com. Okay. Um, so there, there'll be a number of things that people can explore, different aspects of what 
Desmond Doss believed in, what motivated him to do what he did, mm-hmm. you know, aspects of the story. Um, I think some of the interview that I did with Terry Benedict will be there as well. Mm-hmm. So some insights into behind, even a little bit behind the scenes of the movie and some of those kind of things. Okay. But... Uh, through that website there's an opportunity to connect with a number of other opportunities to further explore the story of Desmond Doss or to you know or his faith Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a there's a book that is being made available that will be offered free from that website called Mm -hmm. The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge Mm -hmm. which has a little bit of the story and then a little bit of the faith aspect of it Mm -hmm. which um, looks like a good thing Mm -hmm. and there'll be some other opportunities as well and of course there's the opportunity uh, to connect with Terry Benedict's documentary, The Conscientious Objector, which is available from Adventist book centres and places like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so if you've got an interest in going deeper with the story, then there's that kind of opportunity as well. So people can purchase a DVD mm-hmm. around Australia and New Zealand from Adventist book centres mm. and watch the story um, as Terry portrays that. That mm. is... Um, which is True. Desmond Doss telling it in his own words, yeah. and that's a remarkable thing. Yeah, he's an old man. He's very deaf at, at the time of filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, he almost needs subtitles on, you know, to because he's he had a cochlear implant late yes. in life, and um, that affects your ability to speak clearly and some of mm-hmm. those kind of things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a remarkable thing to look at this old older man. Mm-hmm. Reflect on him, his story as a younger man, mm. and um, and also hear testimonies from some of the guys that were on the ridge with him that mm-hmm. day. So the website again is called Faith Faith of Dos dot com. So to explore further about what Nathan's been sharing, we encourage you to visit that website Faith of dot com, mm. and also. Um, there's a number of books available at the Adventist Book Centres that explore this story further. Yeah, there's been a few mm. attempts at writing his story. <laughs> okay. uh, one of the interesting ones is called simply called The Conscientious Objector, the book, mm. okay. as distinguished from the DVD, okay. uh, which was written by his uh, wife. So that's an interesting perspective. Which is a different perspective on him as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he lost his lo- his first wife earlier in life mm-hmm. um, through ill health. Mm-hmm. And then um, he remarried, and this is the story of the, written by his second wife, mm. uh, reflecting back to his experiences in World War II, but also kind of introducing him a little bit more as he was an older man and the faith that was still a significant part of his life at that mm-hmm. point. Thank you, Nathan. Um, Nathan, as as you mentioned before, the Sabbath was a really important part of Doss's life. Mm. He observed the, the Seventh-day Sabbath mm. as he observed the commandment that uh, he read, you shall not kill. Mm. So in, in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20 has a simple statement mm. um, and a number of simple statements um, Ten of them, in fact, uh, <laughs> called the Ten Commandments. Uh, simple and to read, not so simple to live by. But he he did that in mm. in the most difficult and hostile yes. environment among uh, soldiers, among officers, among peers, among um, you know the war environment. Mm. Is the Sabbath such an important um, day commandment that um, Dos would? in fact, risk his reputation, his life for? Mm. Is it still relevant? I mean, who? how do you understand 
the Sabbath context in mm. that environment and then translate that to our day today. Yeah, it's fascinating even in the DOS story about the, putting the Sabbath next to thou shalt not kill mm-hmm. uh, because you can see the sense, the logic of not killing because killing hurts people. Yes. Um, yeah, a lot of people agree that that's not the best thing to do. Um, at least not in general circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there'd be arguments at times about just war and yeah. justified things. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, on a simple reading, it's pretty straightforward. Yes. And some of the other commandments, thou shalt not steal. Um, yeah, things that are I mean, generally accepted in society as kind of good to some kind of well-ordered living. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting in that list of 10 and they're all treated equally mm-hmm. um, in fact if you go down the list of you know it begins with you know a focus on God to put God first mm-hmm. and not to worship other things mm-hmm. uh, and you know not to take God's name in vain and then the fourth of those is you know to keep the Sabbath mm-hmm. and to put those things next to not killing, not stealing, not cheating on your partner, mm-hmm. those kind of things, mm-hmm. are, is a fascinating uh, conjunction of these mm-hmm. two ideas, that the, that the one set of these things is important as the other. Mm. And I think it's very, it comes back to what I mentioned earlier. You know, really, they are summarised by love God with all you are and then love your neighbour as yourself, mm. but they aren't disconnected. No. They're, they're put together as all a part of living well. And you know, it, one of the ways of thinking about what's wrong in the world is simply that they're about broken relationships, mm. you know, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with ourselves, broken relationships with others and, mm. and with our larger environment. Mm-hmm. And if we look at that and all those things are spelled out in the original story in Genesis 3, if we look at those and then come back to this list of rules for living well as mm-hmm. God set them out to his people back in Exodus, it was, you know, let's look after all of those relationships. Mm. And um, Sabbath is in the context of mending relationships and making people, bringing people to living well, mm. is as important as not killing. Mm-hmm. It may not have the direct um, impact on somebody else straight away, mm-hmm. but when that relationship with God is strong in the center of somebody's life, as Mm. Desmond demonstrated in the way he lived and acted, then it has beneficial benefits to those other relationships Mm. as well. And, you know, so they're part of a package of living well. And it's more than just not working. Mm. It's it's about relationships, not only yourself with God, but also those in your household, those in your mm. in your even your animals. That's right, which is a remarkable thing. <laughs> it is, and um, yeah, so it's it, even even Sabbath keeping as such, as it's listed and described in that commandment, mm-hmm. is not about ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's something that benefits all the people around us. Mm-hmm. Which is a fascinating thing, um, yeah. And it's, people it's a blessing have, further than just the individual. That's right. It should benefit the whole of a society. Mm-hmm. And scholars have pointed out that in ancient law systems, if you go even into other ancient cultures, there's nothing like this mm. that has benefits for everybody. Mm. And this is a, something quite unique in the, um, yeah, in in the Ten Commandments in mm. in the Sabbath. Which is interesting because God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger mm. in stone. Mm. So that's pretty permanent. Mm. And when God, the author of life, the author of everything mm. good, um, 
writes these these ways down for for Moses to record in the Bible. Mm. Um, that's quite remarkable. It's also interesting what Jesus did with the commandments when he was on earth and in his teaching. Commandments such as, you know, do not kill. Mm-hmm. He actually took it deeper. He said, you know, it's, I, you know, you've heard it said that, you know, thou shalt not kill. But I also say that you, you know, if you get angry with someone, mm-hmm. you know, then you're also breaking this commandment because it's damaging that relationship. Mm-hmm. And talk, you know, similarly, it has been said you know, don't commit adultery. Mm-hmm. But if you look at someone lustfully, then you've already done that in your heart. The relationship mm-hmm. is damaged mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so the same kind of thing, um, you know, that Jesus emphasized the relationship aspect mm-hmm. yes. of the commandments, yes. you know, both with God and ourselves, but also with others and how that impacts on others. And he did the same thing with the Sabbath commandment mm-hmm. because he didn't, he, and, but interestingly, he would almost that he modified it, not in making the Sabbath less important, but actually what people were doing with the Sabbath. Mm. And you know, Jesus went out of his way to heal on the Sabbath. You know, it, there's mm. six or seven miracles that Jesus has recorded as doing on Sabbath yes. that were chronic conditions that didn't need to be d- done that day. But Jesus seemed to want to make a point that Sabbath was a day for healing. Liberation and setting people mm. free and um, restoring relationships, mm. and so as Jesus said, it is lawful to do good on Sabbath. Mm. So that was his modification or addition to the Sabbath commandment: was mm. don't get so focused on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, remember this is about other people. This is mm. about bringing benefits to those around us, and so. You know, in the situation that um, Doss found himself on in May 1945 in the middle of the bloodiest battle of the Second World War, mm. it happened to be Sabbath, but there were people that needed help. And he recognised that higher calling to be true to God was to use this day to serve and mm. to heal mm. and to do what he could to help people who were in a terrible situation. Yeah. Nathan, how can we learn from this story and really apply it to our lives? There are many people that will be um, reading about this story and um, learning about this man, Desmond Doss. Mm. What do you think is the lesson that we can take from his life and apply it to, to our day today? It was something that I've been thinking on since I recently interviewed Terry mm. again yes. in connection with this. And I sort of said, you know, I asked him that question. You know, for someone who knew him and spent a lot of time with him and mm. certainly a lot of time with his story, I just said to him, you know, what, what do we take away from this? What do you see mm. as the most important thing from it? And his comment surprised me a little because we often talk about, you know, standing up for what you believe and standing firm in, you know, Adversity. following these things mm. and in difficult situations. Mm. And he said, to me, the overriding thing of Desmond's life was to trust God. Okay. And to trust him to get you through whatever the worst of the circumstances you might be able to imagine or, you know, things coming your mm. way. Um, you know, and just to have that sort of firm, humble, underlying trust that somehow God will see you through the day. So that is, in, in Terry's mind and in your mind, far more important than the strength of I'll be strong, Mm. I'll resist, Mm. I'll object to carrying a gun, that kind of Mm. uh, 
quote unquote bravery. Yeah. But in fact, but those things come in the context of that underlying relationship with God and that trust. Like trust is such a superb word. Yes. Because it's the kind of you know it's more than faith. It's more than belief. It's this thing of reliance, of mm. sitting back and saying, well, I'm standing up for what I believe, but it's not about me. Mm. It's this bigger thing that I'm trusting in the bigger power involved with this, in God, uh, in a personal relationship with, with God, uh, and that God, you know, whether I survive this battle or not, I still trust him mm. and um, and I'll do what I can in the situation to do what I believe is right, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's standing up or whether that's serving, you know, or both, mm-hmm. uh, whatever those things may be. To have that deeper trust is the foundation for it all mm. because, as you say, if we just try and rely on ourselves and you know, ourselves and what we feel like often are dependent on our circumstances. Yes. Um, when things are going well, it's kind of easy to have faith or to say we have faith. Uh, and yeah. But when things are tough personally or in whatever way it might be, it's it, we need to have that kind of underlying trust that God is good, mm-hmm. that God has got our back. Mm. And you know, that makes it okay even if it isn't okay. Mm-hmm. Even if it is difficult mm. to stand up for the right... So, Nathan, there's a quote that I'm sure you've read before, and it's in the book called Education, page 57. And I think it's quite appropriate to what we've been discussing today. The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Mm. And um, and I think Doss, Doss's life and Doss's faith, particularly, seemed to be that kind of guy. Was that kind of guy? <laughs> yep. And that's um, a challenge for us all, isn't it? Mm. And uh, the next part of the quote goes on, but such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments. Of providence. A noble character is the result of self discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. Nice work. <laughs> nice work. And, and um, you know, that kind of experience was displayed in, in this man's life. Mm. And we are privileged to have his story preserved, and I was interested to find out that there's a Desmond Doss Council that mm. look after mm. his story, his legacy, to to make sure that the story is not forgotten mm. and not exploded into some fancy, fanciful story, as as you mentioned. Well, this is the thing, and um, yeah, you, know, you could preach a hundred sermons on all these, you know, the various of the different ideas that we've talked about today, mm-hmm. um, just all these different aspects of it that, you know, and we can talk about them in theory and we can quote the Bible verses and have these great quotes and and all of those are very valuable things. Mm -hmm. But to see the story of them lived out in someone's life in a terrible situation but also in a heroic situation, 
is such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows that you know, this isn't just theory. It mm-hmm. isn't just nice ideas. It's something that is transformative. It's something that can be real. It's something that can make a real difference in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And so you know, these kind of stories are such powerful, powerful things to capture our imagination. To you know, And when you read a story like this, when you engage in a story like it, you are drawn into it. Mm. You know, how would I respond in those situations? What would it mean for me um, to make decisions like that in my life, whatever my circumstances are? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's like the lab test mm. where you actually, you know, move something just out from a theory into how does this actually work? How does it make sense? In, and in what life. does a life lived, you know, true to these principles look like and with trust in God look like? Nathan, for many people, they haven't faced war and, and many of our generation haven't mm. um, gone to war and maybe that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> it's not something I'm keen to do. <laughs> but before we, we started this interview, I, I think I asked you, you know, what would you have done? And I know <laughs> that's a difficult question to answer because mm. sometimes we don't know how we'll respond mm. given a certain situation. Mm. Well, I think um, as you know, in my church, the Adventist church, we have a really strong tradition of um, standing up for what we believe against the cry of rushing off to war. Mm-hmm. You know, before our church existed as a denomination, we were involved in North America in the U.S. Civil War. And our church was considered a peace church, was mm-hmm. described as a peace church. And, uh, you know, our people, while helping with the issues, um, you know, involved in the Underground Railroad and helping slaves escape from slavery in the South, which, of course, was one of the core reasons behind the U.S. Civil War, was generally not involved in sending our young men to fight in the war. Mm. And certainly that kind of conscientious objection, that kind of peacemaking is a part of the heritage that we have as a church. And... um, yeah, sometimes that can get a little bit watered down, and it has been in some places and times. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that everybody, you know, these things are things of conscience, and so people need to wrestle with them personally as well as us having, you know, broader, you know, from a from a church perspective, some broader understandings on these issues. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, uh, you know, war is a, is a really terrible thing uh, at best. And that's probably not even the right word, but at best it's something of last resort and should only be that. And, you know, what participation or support, you know, faithful people should have on that is is complicated. Mm. But, you know, there's some pretty strong principles that, you know, people like Desmond Doss actually demonstrated. It's fascinating. Terry was mentioning when he was doing the documentary with mm-hmm. him, he was... Um, Looking forward to being able to sit down with him and have that kind of discussion, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, philosophical, you know, for yes, war, anti-war, yes, yes. you know, all of these kind of things, and um, he was surprised, but perhaps also satisfied that Doss's answer to that was very short. Mm. And so when he asked him the question, it was a 60-second response, and that was the end of the discussion where he simply said, "I believe God convicted me not to carry a gun." Mm. I'm not judging what other people did in that situation, but that I had to be true to what God convicted me to do. Interesting. And that was that was the 
discussion from his perspective. Now, I think there is more to it than that, and I think there are worthwhile discussions. You know, what would I do in that situation? I would hope that I would stand up against war at all, you know, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to seek to, you know, the first call on God's people, I believe, in the Bible is to be peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in these kind of situations that um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And, um, you know, that kind of creative, um, faithful peacemaking, I think, is kind of, for me, that's difficult to reconcile with mm-hmm. marching off to war. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that in a, you know, even outside the context of war, I think in a society that has an increasing attitude of violence, mm. uh, whether that's in you know, in all sorts of different ways and not even in ways more than just, you know, people beating up one another, mm. but in, you know, the, our whole attitude to how we live life, even things like road rage and mm. some of these kind of things that, mm-hmm. you know, become a part of what's on the news and what's mm. in society around us. We need to be people of peace, mm. people who, because of our trust in God, can stand up in these situations and say, you know, there are other ways to resolve disputes between people and between groups and between communities nations. and nations. Mm. And, and to step back and say, is God in control? Mm. He ultimately is. Mm. Yeah, and that's a valuable, mm. valuable perspective that we have as people of faith, mm. which means that we should live differently and that we approach some of these questions differently. Mm. Nathan, I don't know how much time we want to spend on this and um, how much time we have to explore this, but the Bible does mention a number of wars, particularly in the Old Testament, mm. where, you know, David went off to war at the instruction of God. Mm. And a lot of people have questions about that. Would you briefly comment, please, about <laughs> um, you know someone that, that has read parts of the Old Testament, and I mm. know this is, a, I guess, a, a, a parenthesis, to read the whole Bible in context. Mm. Mm. To read one story and say this is what God is like mm. is unfair, just as much as taking a snapshot of you, Nathan, and saying this is what Nathan's like. Well, the one story we can read and say this is what God is like is the story of Jesus. Mm. And I, in my reading of the Bible, we start with Jesus mm-hmm. and then we read the rest of the Bible in the light of Jesus. Mm. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that happen in the Old Testament that aren't the ideal of how life should be. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that happen in the New Testament that aren't either. Mm-hmm. Um Instead, they're simply stories of life. And, you know, there's all sorts of discussion to be had when often when nations march off to war and they claim it in the name of God, God may not be there. Yeah, um, It's a useful thing to use to try and rally the troops, but it may not be sometimes the most honest use of the name of God. It mm-hmm. could even be taking the name of God in vain to mm-hmm. get back to those commandments we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh I do think that God deals with people differently mm-hmm. at different stages of history. And I think um, the uh, when we look at some of the stories in the Old Testament, and you know these are often used as objections to Christianity, mm-hmm. is that we need to understand them in the times in which they live and that sometimes God's response to some of the situations is not a pattern that should be followed forever. It's a response in a specific situation Mm -hmm. and it also references, you know, it's meeting the people where they were at, Mm -hmm. you know, in a very violent society where you had all these little clans that fought against each other and that Mm -hmm. was life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so there are some things that I struggle to explain Mm -hmm. in some of that. There are some things 
that are complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some things that are just plain ugly and are not patterns for anything that we should be following. But it comes back to Jesus. And mm-hmm. you know, even in the context of war, I ask the question and say, mm-hmm. well, where would Jesus be marching off to war? Mm-hmm. And you know, who would Jesus bomb? <laughs> Jesus and, didn't rally, rally his disciples to, mm-hmm. to fight uh, with clubs and spears and... And the one, the one experience where Jesus, where his disciples did take up a sword, was Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he took the guy's ear off, and Jesus turned and healed him. Yes. And I sometimes wonder if Jesus today doesn't come along behind some of the well-meaning, well-intentioned things that some of the things we do that hurt Mm. other people, and he's the healing presence there Mm. in spite of his people. Yes. And so I, you know, if you know, Jesus would be the medic if. At best, if he was involved at all, yes. you know he would be the Desmond Doss um, doing that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, he, I don't imagine how Jesus would be the person carrying the gun or throwing the grenade. Mm. And I know that you know the Jesus I know would be someone who would be seeking to disarm mm. the whole situation as much as possible. And you know. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's something different. Mm. It's of a different nature. Mm. And so it's not about fighting wars and it's not about, you know, that kind of power. And, you know, ultimately it's actually the humble mm. and the meek and the and the little things that make up the kingdom of God and it mm. grows from there. And the statement that God chooses to describe himself, God is love. Mm. He repeats that a number of times in the Bible and we need to remember that. Mm. Now, Nathan... Um, just to finish off, we were speaking. We have been speaking about many different issues, and I guess it comes down to the controversy between good and evil. Mm. And uh, there's a book by that title that I'm sure you're very familiar with, mm. Science Publishing Company, um, The Great Controversy. Mm. And one day we can ultimately say that God will make all things right. He's promised that in the Bible. Mm. He's promised to have no more war, mm. no more pain, yeah. no more suffering. No more tears. Mm. And we want to leave that hope and Mm. that promise of the Bible with our listeners. Yeah, and that's a valuable, important, big picture to Mm, keep in mind of all of this. Uh, The other part that I think is important, and we mentioned the the Good Samaritan earlier, uh, in The Desire of Ages, another book by Ellen White, Mm -hmm. when she is commenting on the story of the Good Samaritan, she actually makes the comment that... uh, that our neighbour is anyone who is in need of help. Mm. Our neighbour is anyone who is wounded by the adversary. Mm. So that's using that kind of great controversy language Mm. to talk about our role as agents of healing, Mm. of help, of service, agents of reversal. Yeah, and um, yeah, if we're talking great controversy type language, you know, at the end of Romans chapter twelve, Paul has this great line about overcoming evil by doing good. Yes, and to me, you know, you can't imagine a worse evil than a battlefield, mm. and you can't imagine a greater good than someone in the midst of it with self-sacrifice and at their own risk and their own, you know, so putting their life on the line mm. to to serve others and to heal and to help and to do whatever he can Mm. you know in that situation to be an agent of healing an agent of reversal an Mm. agent of the kingdom of god in that way Mm. 
Our guest today has been Nathan Brown, a book editor at the Science Publishing Company in Warburton, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Nathan, thank you for your insightful comments. Not a problem. Thank you for taking your time to explore these issues of the faith of DOS hmm. and your research and your writing and your interviewing with um, with key people involved in that story. Hmm. Once again, the website that uh, Nathan Brown mentioned is faithofdos.com. Yep. You can purchase a DVD called The Conscience objector mm-hmm. from the Adventist Book Centres around Australia and New Zealand mm. to get the full story. <laughs> Indeed, and it's a great documentary. It really is a is a it's a moving story mm. and it's a powerful story. And to actually have some small connection to you know someone who is a genuine mm. hero mm. is a great thing. Nathan Brown, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thanks. If you have questions or comments about any of the programs you've heard. You can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia all one word, dot o-r-g dot a-u. Our postal address is 3AVN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Do you enjoy listening to 3ABN Radio Network? Would you like others to enjoy our network too? With your help, we'd like to reach more communities with this life-changing network. Would you consider supporting us through your prayers and financial support? 3ABN Radio Network is 100% listener-supported. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264 Australia. Call us on 2 4973 3456. Our email address is mail at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can visit our website or search for our Facebook pages, 3ABN Australia Radio and 3ABN Australia. We'd welcome your contact today. To purchase this and other CDs, visit our online store at 3abnaustralia.org.au. This is a sample from Henry Higgins playing I Will Follow Thee from his CD Near to the Heart.
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.